G'day everyone and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast of course. Uh, another game probably let slip by the Crows but it was a decent effort so without any further ado let's talk about it. Let's get straight into it. Good evening everyone and welcome to round 10 of the weekend wrap brought to you by Crowcast of course. Disappointing result but uh, nonetheless we uh, put up a fair fair show I guess we can say talking to me tonight all about it is Macca. How are you going Mac? Yeah looking forward to it. Um, You know we didn't win but uh, you know I thought we put up a pretty good show and uh, if the selectors had, had a little bit more forethought, uh, we might have won the game. Mate, we will talk about that because that's a bit of a bugbear of mine as well. Uh, we have to say good evening and welcome to everyone who's joined us in Discord and also on YouTube. Don't forget, if you want to have a chat uh, about uh, what we're talking about, about the match or, or anything else to do with the Crows at all, stick your hand up in the virtual stage there and we will certainly get you on board um, but in the meantime, you can chat away by text on Discord and or YouTube. Uh, mate, before we get into our um, our uh, uh, analysis of the Crows match, we uh, have we've listened to uh, we've listened to the punters, mate, and unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, we're going to have a cut-down version of uh, Macca's Roundup. So uh, hang on a sec. We'll uh, just get into this. And uh, look at this. This is... uh, (laughs) We've got it all crowned on one page now. (laughs) So let's... uh, I'll just run through the scores real quick. Uh, Carlton, uh, 15-point winners over Sydney. Uh, Geelong, 35-point winners over the Power... Um, the Dogs, 19-point winners over the Suns. North uh, got done by the Ds by 47 points. Uh, the Tigers getting up by 32 points uh, in the Dreamtime match over Essendon. The Giants, 52-point uh, winners over the Eagles. The Hawks in a, uh, a great win uh, for them, 5 points over the Lions. And uh, the Dockers got done, uh, probably their first form dip of the season, by 36 36- Points by Collingwood. Mac, we'll have a quick one-minute conversation about the uh, the weekend results. I guess the uh, the Dockers and the uh, the Lions were the two surprising ones, weren't they? Uh, Dockers played uh, Collingwood in the conditions were pretty poor and they were wet. And if you look back on their form, they're not a wet form uh, team. That they're out, they've been beaten in the in the wet before, and uh, Collingwood made them look second rate actually uh, on their own home ground. So. Uh, no, uh, we thought they were the real deal, real deal, but I'm starting to have my doubts about them because uh, certainly in a wet game, they don't go too good. Oh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't get off them just yet. Collingwood actually, um, they go right in Western Australia, Collingwood. Um, 
Uh, and the Dockers were probably due for an off night. So, uh, anyway, um, apart from that, uh, the results were fairly uh, predictable. Um, I thought Carlton's win was pretty good uh, on the weekend and sees them uh, entrenched in the top four macros. We look at the uh, ladder. we got Melbourne on top with 40 points, the Lions and Carlton on 32 Fremantle and St Kilda on 28. Not convinced about St Kilda yet. Uh, Geelong, Sydney and Richmond in the 8 on 24 points. And then we've got the Bulldogs and Collingwood outside the 8 on 20. Uh, Port on 16 along with the Suns and Hawthorne. Uh, the Giants and Adelaide on 12. Essendon on 8. North and the Eagles on 4 points. Um... I guess, you know, fairly predictable. You'd think that uh, the Bulldogs are the danger for those in the eights. I'm not actually convinced about St Kilda yet. Mac, are you? No. Um, look, they, they, uh, look, they haven't got steel, and uh, I don't know when steel will be available again. And, uh, I mean, Brad Crouch played a very good game. Credit where it's due. But uh, they, they didn't look as dangerous as they do when steel plays. And... Uh, uh, no, they're, they're not up with Melbourne, put it that way. They're not up with Melbourne. No, I don't. Well, no, definitely not up with Melbourne. Uh, but uh, whether they're top four material, like some of the commentators are talking about, I'm not quite sure. Um, their percentage is still fairly low, only 118. Um, and whilst that's not the be all and end all, it's still a bit of an ind- indicator, in my opinion. Um, On the other so, hand, Carlton thing, they are, they're starting to look at it like a, the real deal. I really like Carlton's game. Um, I, uh, I, th- I just feel like they're... Uh, uh, that's probably the toughest win they've had, you know. Um, Sydney did put up a good show. Um, uh, Carlton got a fair ride from the umpires, though. Yeah, they did. And they also had Charlie Kernow. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got a... I got a ripper right from the from the from the umps, but never mind. Um, so you know, uh, overall, I think the results were quite predictable. Uh, even though my footy tipping didn't uh, reflect that, <laughs> but I'm so far down the tube, Mac, that uh, I uh, I'm trying to go for roughies already. How you go? Are you in uh, yeah. fantasy football this year? Uh, in fantasy football, yeah, top of the ladder, mate. <laughs> Wow, you're just Probably a machine it. when it. You're just a machine when it comes to that. Uh, yeah, don't I, forget. Well, every... <laughs> and I just want to make two two comments about the results. Uh, yeah. One is that uh, GWS this West Coast GWS had eleven of their best players out, and uh, West Coast had eleven of their best players out. That's what I said on paper, yeah. and it shows how far down West Coast are. So they got. I think they're right down the bottom. And uh, I don't know what they're are they going to do. Are they going to stick to Simpson and rebuild? Uh, or are they going to get somebody else in? Because West Coast are nowhere. Look, I, I reckon that uh, Simpson would probably rather go through a rebuild at his home club, mate. And I wouldn't mind betting that he's back at North next year. I think the, the noble experiment at North Melbourne has probably worn off. Um, yep. And uh, I think West Coast uh, will replace... Well, I think... I think West Coast would quite happily hang on to Simpson if he was still wanted to be there. I just have a feeling that uh, North will get him back and uh, West Coast will be looking for a new coach. Well, you've covered the other club I was going to mention, North Melbourne, and they can't stick with Noble, can they? 
Oh, look, I don't think so. I don't think he's really engaged with the players. He doesn't look like he's the sort of coach that will um, rebuild a team. Uh, he doesn't seem to be engaged with the young lads. Um, some of their selection is a bit weird. Uh, the fact that Will Phillips can't get a run, he's doing okay in the twos from all reports, but he can't get a run, you know, those sort of things. I don't know. I just I don't feel like Noble's got that club. Um, I don't. I don't think they've got... I don't think he's got their confidence, to be honest. And Trapp's under pressure as well. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going on there. Uh, look, I mean, Rutten was an assistant coach there for, what, two years, three years? Uh, he was there under Worsfold. Um, and you wouldn't have thought they would have appointed him had he not had a good relationship with the players, Macca. So I don't know what's gone south there. Um, but uh, they're certainly not not playing. I mean, they play with a little bit more pride and passion uh, against Richmond, but they're just. I think their list is just lacking terribly. It is. So, uh, and you know, I think the big the biggest thing for Rutten is whether he survives the Melbourne media scrutiny. Um, I, I think the gun, well, the we- knives are out for him. Yeah, being a South Australian too doesn't help him. Uh, they love to attack him, and uh, he, he will get less tolerance than an, uh, a Victorian would. I, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, so uh, no announcement yet, of course, on the uh, on the Giants' job. Uh, um, Clarkson has ruled himself out of that job, though. That's an interesting one for mine. Uh, says that he's committed to the Tasmanian project. That that's significant, if you ask me. That's ridiculous. Well, why is it ridiculous? Well, the Tasmanian project, that's not going to happen for another three or four years. Well, I mean, that's when uh, the, the report that I um, the report that I read said that he'd ruled himself out of the GWS job and at this stage he was still focused on the Tasmanian proposal. Now, I don't think that necessarily means he's going to hang out to coach them but I think he's working with the uh, Tasmanian Consortium, and at the moment, I think he's uh, he's well, he's got income obviously from that. And I don't obviously he doesn't want to go to GWS now. Whether the AFL knew about that already before Cameron uh, fell on his sword, I'm not sure. But I think the AFL would be disappointed that Clarkson doesn't want to go up there. I agree. Um, probably opens the frame for James Hurd. Um, I wouldn't mind betting that James Hurd ends up coaching GWS. Um, well, he's certainly going to, lift his, he's going to lift his stock somewhere, isn't it? There's going to be opportunities for it. Well, the thing about James Hurd coaching in in Sydney is that he's, A, he's not in the Melbourne fishbowl. So he gets out of a little bit of scrutiny um, from the Melbourne media. Um Secondly, he's been brought on there as a consultant uh, and he's certainly fairly hands-on by all reports since um, Cameron left. Uh, obviously, he's working with teammates, McVeigh, and who's the other one they've got up there? Um, yeah, I know who you mean. But I can't think he's of his name. He's another former teammate of his. That's right. So it's almost an Essendon panel up there at the moment. Um, and obviously, Sheedy uh, has a lot to do uh, with GWS on their formation and probably still has a fair bit of uh, connection there. So my money's on herd for GWS. 
Oh, I'm all down, um, mate. Yes, definitely. Um, which leaves uh, the Port Adelaide position, which has gone a bit quiet since Port have started winning games, albeit not against teams that are in contention and, and lost fairly comfortably to Geelong um, on the weekend. Uh, I think that will start rearing its head again when Port start losing to more top eight teams, as I think they will. Um what do, you, do you think Clarkson has got a connection strong enough at Port Adelaide that they would get him back there? Um, oh, I think they'd give Kenny the boot at 100 mile an hour and get uh, Clarkson if they could. The problem they have got is that, that because they're uh, one of the clubs that are on lifeline to the AFL, uh, Kenny's got a year, a year to go and uh, the AFL aren't going to give him another 800,000 throw away. No, and... Uh... Just an, by extension, do Port have the have the dollars to be able to pay Clarkson? Because uh, that, that comes under their soft cap. Um, I don't know whether they got the money to be honest. No, they haven't. Um, which begs the question: Where's Clarko going? Um, I, I'm amazed about the GWS. I haven't read that anywhere, Fiend. Um, and and uh, I, I I just thought Giant straight away. No, ruled himself out. Well, it may be that the uh, the boy who eats too much up north, he may get the, the boot, and uh, Stewie Jube, although Gold Coast aren't travelling too badly at the moment, but whether they want Clarkson up there, maybe as uh, somebody who can hold the players up there, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, lots of speculation, lots going on in the footy world uh, at the moment. And uh, what we're focusing on right now, Maka, is uh, the Adelaide Crows. And it was the Crows uh, that went down to the Saints, 9-15-69. Terrible kicking, Maka, to St Kilda, 14-6-90. So 21 points in the end after leading at three-quarter time. What were your initial thoughts, mate? Oh, I just thought we uh, we lost a game. We should have won. And um, there were two factors involved in that. And you mentioned, we have actually mentioned them both indirectly along the line. Um, firstly, uh, just, uh, the, the back line. I mean, when you when you see what uh, they could have got up forward, they've got, you know, they've got King, they've got Membry, and they've got the changing rucks, uh, Ryder, and uh the other guy, he, he, he's very, they're both Marshall. very, very good. Really good. There's four tools that can kick goals. In fact, they all did. And between yeah. them, I think they got something like about nine, nine goals, ten, ten goals between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got poor old Murray up there and Dude. Talk about being undersized. Absolutely ludicrous. It's just yeah. ludicrous. And, yeah. um, in spite of that, in spite of that, except, except for the last five minutes of the game, we were actually we were leading, and um, uh, we should have led by a lot more because we come back to the kicking for goal. And I'm very very angry about the way players these days kick for goal. This business of running in and you know flicking the ball around in your hands when you run on the way when you're running in. You know the the guys that kick straight, they actually hold the ball, get it in the right position to drop for the, for the drop. And they run in and they run straight at the goal and they and they kick straight through it. Uh, and it makes me so angry with some of the efforts that they the way they do it. You know, it's 
obviously they haven't been taught when they're young to do it properly and then they've got bad habits ingrained in them. But uh, uh, as I understand it, teams don't spend very much time practising kicking for goal and yet it's one of the most important factors in the game. How often do we uh, say bad kicking is bad football and yet coaches don't spend anywhere near enough time uh, or clubs don't spend anywhere near enough time uh, coaching it? I... um, had the pleasure of going down to Brighton today and stuffing my face full of food um, and that scuppered some plans that I had of going across the road to Scotch Oval and uh, putting markers down at all the set shots that we missed Macca and having a shot myself because I reckon I could have got 70% of the ones that we missed um, oh, and and I reckon- well you could have right? yep um, look I spotted something with Ned McHenry, and I hate to be sizest. Um, and Matt, yep, I might make a video. It's going to be a nice couple of days over the next uh, next couple of days, so I might shoot down there after work and uh, have a kick. Um, there's a bit of footy going on on Scotch at the moment, so uh, anyway, we'll see. Um, Ned McHenry, and I'm not being sizest, but I've seen what he does. He doesn't kick over the mark, man on the mark, Macca. He kicks around the man on the mark. And what he does, because he kicks around the man on the mark, he pushes everything to the right or hooks it to the left in trying to correct it. And that Correct. shot that he missed for goal, it's exactly what he did. He didn't kick over the man on the mark. Um, he, uh, he he didn't. None of, none of them actually. The only one that missed that uh, that I thought was good technique and just bad luck was Saligo's first shot. Uh, where he actually ran in nice and straight, and it just sort of it, it just faded off and hit the post. But most oh, of those shots for goals faded so much in the last. Yeah, it was very. Um, Texas technique has 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 gotten lazy. Um, you know, uh, it, there's just so many examples of poor kicking technique, um, and it, I'll tell you what it is, Mac. There's a big difference between, and you would know this, there's a big difference in my opinion between kicking for a goal on the run, which is not, which is a one technique, and kicking for a goal from a standing start. They're two completely different techniques. And I've noticed a lot of our players um, kick the ball from a standing start using a similar technique to what they would use if they were having a running shot for goal. Um, you know, I'm just casting my mind back. Uh, there is there are slight differences in, in it, in the sense, but it should always be running straight at goal. In uh, in my opinion, you, you mentioned Ned uh, McHenry. Yeah. Uh, he not only he's guilty of another thing. He's been one of those that flicks the ball around in his hands uh, as he's running in. Yep. Um. And uh, then then he runs to the side, and then he's then he's then he's hooking the ball, and yep. you know he's got about three reasons why he won't kick the goal. Yeah. Whereas yeah, look, if he just went back and just held the ball, got himself set to run for the to run in, he would have kicked it. Look, it's I always uh, take it back to a golf swing because it's exactly the same principle. Uh, you've got to have a repeatable action and. You look at some of the best players in golf, and not all of them have got um, fantastic swing smacker, but what they can do is repeat it 
time after time after time and the, and the best ones can repeat it under pressure right so it doesn't matter what your technique is necessarily but it's got to be ingrained um i can't remember the golfer's name that won some majors back in the 90s oh geez what's his name i'm getting old mate i'm bloody losing my memory but he had a massive little loop at the top of his backswing and uh even so um he was able to uh, just laser the ball into greens and all the best golfers that's why they spend hours and hours and hours on the practice range and the famous quote from Lee Trevino, the difference between an amateur golfer and a pro golfer is a thousand balls a day. And what you said before is spot on. The object of the game of AFL football is to kick more goals than your opposition. And intrinsic in that goal is to actually be able to kick goals. So you would think that they would spend time honing their skill, honing their technique, um, particularly with set shots. I can forgive running shots because that's a that's a lot of factors involved there. But a set shot you should kick like within the within the 45 meter V uh, 45 degree V Mac, you should kick 90% in my opinion as a professional footballer. the other thing is also the mindset. I when I played I was a very greedy little bastard and uh, you know and I loved kicking a goal mate. So if I was having a shot off a goal. My mindset was, you beauty, I've got a goal here. Some of these guys out there, you see they are absolutely shitting themselves that they're having a shot for goal. Yep. It's, it, just has, it just has to be you have to change the mindset that they believe they will kick the goal. They want yep. to kick the goal. Yep. Well, I think this is it. And Jim Furyk was the one. Thanks, Surf So I was in the chat. Jim Furyk was a golfer I was trying to remember. Um, like, if you've got an like, say say you're down by a goal and you get, you get a mark in 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 the forward line, that's your opportunity to win the game for your team or you know whatever. If you need to kick a goal, that's your opportunity to and you should be hungry for that. You should be grasping that opportunity. But as you rightly point out, there are so many players that look completely fearful of that opportunity you know they don't want that opportunity uh Rochelle is a is an exception loves the ball in his hands in big moments by the looks of it the young fella and kicked a beauty um that kept us in it um as well before he went off with a corky um but so many players seem to to be fearful of that opportunity they don't see it as an opportunity to finish off the hard work of their teammates do you know what i mean exactly and uh Somebody quite right in the in the chat mentions Dawson. You look at Dawson, uh, whether he's uh, he takes a mark in defence, he sizes up what's going on and then delivers uh, the ball beautifully. When he's having a shot for goal, it's exactly the same thing. I mean, yep. he's uh, there's no running to the side or anything like that. He just does exactly the same, sizes it up and just puts it through. And uh, it's all about mindset. That is just mindset. Yeah. I just want to focus quickly, uh, you touched on selection before, I want to t- look at selection a little bit more closely. Um, I just thought it was, again, incredibly arrogant by Adelaide to not cover off their tools, like you mentioned. Um, you know, it, it's we obviously miss Geordie Butts, but it's not as if we haven't got other options. So the first thing to talk about is um, Billy Frampton. 
right? Now, Billy Frampton is hopeless in the air, right? And got dropped because of his lack of competitiveness in the air. So it seems to me that uh, Nick Murray got dropped for Billy and, and now Nick's back in. Billy dropped out. Is that it for, for Billy Frampton? Because if he wasn't going to get selected for this game, he's not going to get selected, right? Common sense says that. Uh, I, I'm not sure where they are operating off of common sense, but um, if, he, if, they, look, if they were ever going to give Frampton another chance, it had to be this particular game, just out of sheer desperation. Yeah. So if you're not going to give and Frampton then, a run, then the next logical option is you go with a rookie. Right, Fisher Mackesy, who we drafted as a first round selection as a defender, and he hasn't been going great, and he's been playing a little bit up forward in the twos and all the rest of it. However, he's been on our list now for what two years or whatever. He's drafted as a def- drafted as a defender. He doesn't have to take um, Max King per se, but. By having one too short in in defence, we just put too much def- uh, pressure on Murray. So does that mean that Fisher Mackesy is out in terms of selection? All I can say, it must be one of the worst pick sixes in the world. If in this situation you've got this bloke two and a half years down the track and he's not good enough to be in the side, all I can I'm say not- is it's a pretty poor situation, isn't it? Well, we're prepared to pick Riley Thilthorpe. Um you know, so why aren't we prepared to pick Fisher Mackesy under those circumstances? The next one that I would say, if if you're if you're not going to pick Billy, and if you're not going to pick Mackesy, and conversations about their status aside, surely to God, you look at the makeup of the St Kilda team, and as you rightly point out, they had Ryder and um, Marshall in the rucks. They had um, Max King up forward. Um, you know, it's a couple of strong markers too. Mason Wood, Tim Membry. Yep. Um, Four surely. Four of them. So surely, Macca, you think, all right, how are we going to counter this? And we've, we saw back in the day that Malcolm Blight was quite prepared to play David Pittman as a centre-half back role player against blokes like Stuart Lowe, remember? Whenever we played St Kilda and we were playing against any team that had that big centre-half forward type, we played Pittman. So why, why, even though Riley O'Brien is on the nose, why didn't we pick Riley O'Brien and stick him in defence? He's the only player on our list that can match size and height with uh, Max King. Why don't we just stick him there? Look, it would be a revolutionary type of pick, but I think it, it is a lot better than what we did think um, because um, at least it, there would be a tall body. He's not very, he's not all that nimble, but then when you're in the back lines, most of the time you're running straight at it. So I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that would have been a very good move. It would certainly be better than what we did. At the very least, at the very least, it would have muscled up Max King, right? Because what was happening is that Murray, in order to actually try to combat King, he had to get he had to get a running jump. So whenever Max King was on the move, 
Murray was no hope because he was he, uh, the only hope he had was when Max King was basically parked under the ball stationary. As soon as Max King was on the move to any degree, Murray was out of the contest, and unless we had a third man up, um, <coughs> you know, we couldn't kill the contest. At least having Riley O'Brien back there, who could have also had a bit of a run in the ruck, and and we could you know give it a little bit of versatility and all the rest of it. If we had Riley there, he would have been able to muscle up a little bit on Max King and allow then Murray to come off the player that he was on as a third man up to kill those contests. I just think it was extremely conservative selection to not look at that situation and pick a horses for courses side, Mac. I really thought I, I was very disappointed by that. Well, you, you have to condemn uh, either the coaches or the selection committee or somebody if we can't rustle up. Another tall bloke you play there, whether it be O'Brien, whether it be Worrell, whether it be Fisher, uh, whether it be Frampton, are we saying that we've picked that badly that we can't put another player there? And, well, uh, that's and the, by the way, they sleep with the team, that's what they said. That, well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, Frampton's got the height. Uh, Mackesy more or less got the height, probably not quite got the height. But Riley O'Brien definitely had the height. Riley O'Brien can compete in the air. We only needed... All we needed is to actually make Max King work for his marks. Having poor old Nick Murray on Max King, Max King would have been uh, licking his chops. And the the other thing was, and it was noticeable, and I was going to put some video together, but as I said, I was too busy scoffing my face down at Brighton today. Um, There were more than one occasion, and the one thing that we did lack from Kieran Strawn is his inability to drop back into defence. And the couple of times that Strawny did drop back into defence, the only bloke that Strawn should have been worried about when he was in defence was Max King. And yet there are a few occasions, there, the one where Max King uh, came from the pocket and took that mark, Kieran Strawn was 10 metres in front of the uh, the goal square, basically in no man's land. Now, Kieran Strawn should have been back in that situation. He had enough time to work back in that situation to basically double-team Max King. They weren't going to go anywhere else, you know, and yet Strawny didn't position himself well. Now, to me, that's bad coaching because Strawn is in his fifth game. He needs direction. And to my way of thinking, that's Van Berlo um, has, has done Strawn a disservice by not saying whenever you're in a defensive situation, you've got to double-team Max King. To me, that was the obvious one. If, if you're going to play the defence, uh, the defensive setup that you had, you've got to basically use Kieran Strawn as a seventh defender, and we didn't do that. And that's unarguable, Ain't Exactly right. Uh, people in the chat saying he was exhausted. He wasn't. He was, he was out of position. You go and have a look at that mark that Max King took. Uh, running from the forward pocket, which was a set play, right? And then you have a look at where number 45 was, and I'm telling you right now, he was 10 10 metres in front of the goal square. He was out of position. He was not played in the right position. To me, Kieran Strawn um, was hung out to dry, A, because he was up against two two very good ruckmen, one in particular, Paddy Ryder, who's been just tearing it up this year. Um, Rowan Marshall isn't any slouch so he's already up against it poor old Riley Dilthorpe um, just no match 
and I'll, I'll talk about Riley in a minute. Just no match. Uh, so it was only giving a very short chop out to um, Strawny. Um, and then also, you know, we're expecting him to do defensive work. I think it was very, very poor of Adelaide's selection panel not to pick Riley O'Brien. Very poor. Well, nobody's going to argue with the, the fact that it, there should have been another tool in defence, whether it be O'Brien or whether it be somebody else. Man. You're saying it's O'Brien, and uh, I wouldn't have argued with you if it had been him. Uh, I wouldn't have argued if it had been Frampton, but I was definitely arguing that they was one bloody short there for certain, at least. Yeah. Um, Jay Crow, yes, we would be talking about this if uh, we'd have kicked straight and or Max King hadn't kicked straight because it was a glaring issue. The other glaring issue that we had um, that wasn't so much selection macker, but I felt it was gameplay was we let Brad Hill run around like an unregistered dog for the better oh, half of the, for the better half of the second half. And what Nick seemed to be content to do was to make it a shootout between Geordie Dawson at one end and Brad Hill at the other. And when you've got a situation where your forward line uh, where your defenders are outgunned in terms of height, the last thing you want to do is make it a shootout from rebounding half-backs, in my opinion. Well, that's exactly what it was. Um, Hill was Hill was more damaging in the sense that he's got extreme pace, so that, that when he gets it, he doesn't just deliver it from where he gets the ball. He generally gains about another 20, 30 metres and then delivers the ball. So mm. he, he's a, he, he really just slaughtered us. And, uh, you know, I would have been much... Happy to see a sacrifice a forward, um, and uh, just just let him just uh, try and, and uh, negate Hill as much as possible. Well, again, it was, it was a matter of working out where St Kilda were getting their their drive from, um, and we'll have a look at um, a few little stats. But I'll, I'll have a look at um, uh, Brad Hill's um, score involvements uh, while we're just talking about this. But <coughs> pardon me. Um, the simple fact is that we were never going to win that shootout. Dawson was playing deeper because he was forced to, because the entries from St Kilda were going in deeper into their forward 50. So Geordie was having to play deeper. Brad Hill was playing across centre-half back, basically. And um, he was just being able to you know, get the ball at will off half back. But more effective, like you said, uh, Mac, at launching um, uh, scoring opportunities. Brad Hill from half uh, from half back had seven score involvements. Uh, where was his yeah. meters gained? Meters gained, five hundred and eighty six meters gained off half back there. Um, you know, twenty kicks, hundred and eleven um, uh, score involvements. How many scoring chains did he start? Uh, da, 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 da. Let's have a look. Um, oh, I can't find it. Just uh, it's off the top of my head. There is a stat here for um, scoring score launches. Where are we? SL. Where are you, Bradley? No, I can't find it. Anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, 
you know, I just I just felt again it was it was conservative coaching by Nick's that he just allowed that situation to develop. And when when we were obviously outmatched up forward, and we're like in our defensive fifty in St Kilda's forward line, and we were also having a bad kicking night. And everyone knows that a bad kicking night, once someone starts kicking badly, it's contagious. You don't often recover from a bad kicking start, do you, Mac? No, no. It actually actually makes the the whole side go feel a, a bit of a downer. Exactly, and a little bit a little bit tense. So once you know that you're you're on a, a bad accuracy night, the last thing you want to do is have a shootout. It's the last thing you want well, to do. I, I thought that. Uh, in the early part of the game, it wasn't quite as quite played that way. I thought we were we got more as we got more tired as the game went on. That's when it became more like that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After half time, absolutely, Maka. That's you're hundred percent right there. Um, you know, it uh, it just seemed to me that if all he had to do was to stick McHenry or someone like that on Hill just to make him rush his kicks, just to make his uh, rebound uh, less uh, or more pressured, um, just to give them less of an avenue um, and to make them think about what they were going to do next. Because if we'd have made Brad Hill accountable, they didn't have a lot of it, lot else uh, in terms of defensive rebound, in my opinion. Uh, the, the other person that did give us a bit of strife was Brad Crouch. He he had a he had a good game. Yeah, it was funny with Crouchy. I, I actually, well, I know he he got a, a bit of the ball uh, and he kicked that nice goal um, in in the clutch there. But um, I don't know. I thought he had one of his typical high disposal, low impact sort of games. But I wasn't really watching, to be honest. I would have liked to have him in our side. He would have been. He would have stood out in our side. Oh, I don't know about that. Don't know. Anyway, um, yeah. So for me, they were the two things, Mac. Um, you know, poor selection and just a game yep. plan that the so the game so to tie the two things together, the game plan to me didn't seem to fit the the team that we selected. If that makes sense. Well, well. Um... There is one factor, I suppose, in the sense that we were playing the game style that was wanted uh, in the first half. As, in the first as, half, yeah. And, and as the game goes on, it because it's very intense, because we, we try to make it into a, a scramble, into a fight. Um, and what, when it's like that, we, we do very well. But the minute we can become a little bit weak, that's when the opposition break away from us. And that's what happened in the last five minutes of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at the rebound 50 stat uh, because St Kilda, in the, in the halfway through the second quarter, they were 19 to about 8 or 9 or something like that in their favour. So they were getting a lot of bounce off halfback um, uh, out, of, out of our defence. But what we were able to do, if you have a look at the inside 50 stat, and I'm not putting these up because I know people hate my grass, so I'm just having a look. We had far more inside 50s during that period. We were at 
uh, halfway through the second quarter, we were we were miles in front, and I think we we're eleven three at one stage in the first quarter. So they were their rebound fifties were miles up, but we were getting a lot of repeat entries. What we weren't do was converting them on the scoreboard. Um, but in the second half, if you look at uh, the inside fifty count, particularly uh, halfway through the uh, the third to halfway through the fourth, um, uh, St Kilda's inside fifties just shot up, and that's where. Um, their rebound 50s stayed fairly constant, but our inside 50s dropped away. So we were getting far less repeat opportunities. It was bouncing out of our forward 50 rather than us being able to lock the ball in and getting repeat entries. So that's between the two halves, that was a difference. And that's where I thought, Macca, that they should have locked Brad Hill up so that we could actually get some, some more... Um, be able to get more field position because I, th- I felt like the game opened up a little bit after half time and we weren't really so um, intent on maintaining field position. We were more content to let the ball bounce between the two arts. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, in 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 the first quarter we were we were very intent on locking the ball in our forward line and but we just wasted the opportunity by kicking points and. Um, I can't remember. One of the commentators made a comment that that could come back to bite them later, and, and which it did, of course, um, mm. because we we'd had uh, I think it was twelve forward entries into three at one stage. Yeah, it was eleven three. Yeah, the scores and the scores were around about level. Yeah, uh, yeah. At the at the twelve minute mark of the first quarter, it was twelve three. Um, mm. And at one stage, it was like even in the second quarter, it was seventeen uh, eight. 18, 8, 18, 9, and it was really only halfway through that second quarter um, where... Sorry, I'm looking at rebound 50s. Let me try that again. Um, Yeah, it was halfway through the second quarter where St Kilda started to pick up their inside 50 count. But they they only had... St Kilda only had 10 inside 50s at the 10-minute mark of the second quarter, uh, and we had 20. So we had tons of the ball... Uh, but our delivery into forward 50 was shocking. I felt our movement into forward 50 was pretty average, Mac. Um, and we there just don't... Good, there were some Sorry. good moments, but there were a lot of very poor moments where we got absolutely wasted when, when uh, we've kicked blindly or we've kicked to one man against three rather than somebody loose out on their own. Uh, there was there, there's quite a few moments where we could have actually made something of it. We just kicked into a nest of their players. Uh, here's the thing, uh, like there's a couple of our players, uh, Jimmy Rowe in particular, very good at spotting up targets that are leading up to them, right? But what our midfielders don't seem to be able to do is, and Brody Smith is one, um, Ben Keyes is a shocker, uh, and there's a couple of others. They don't seem to be able to pick where to put the ball in contested situations to advantage our forward. So not every kick is going to be a leader, right? So, But what we tend to do is put it on people's heads, right? Now, unless you're Max King, you're not going to win very many of those contests. So what you need to do as, as a midfielder, you've got to think, all right, where's the fat side of the ground? Where, where's our crummer? Where's, what side is my forward on? And kick it to that side instead of just dumping it on his head or wrong-footing him or whatever, so many times we just pop, we just blindly pop the ball 20 metres out 
and our forward wasn't in position. Now, some of that might have been because the forward wasn't playing in front or got blocked or was out-muscled. But to me, a lot of the time, when we when we went forward to contested situations, we weren't smart about where we actually put the ball. Well, on top of that, too, there's been one of our... One of my real complaints about any footy team is when they gather in clumps rather than spread to give the, the alternative to the bloke that's actually got yeah. the ball. And so many times um, we would actually, even from the middle of the ground, rather than looking to the sides or, or we, just, we would just do the bomb to the to the clump at the because there was nobody actually leading to the sides. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so... You know, I've, I've, I felt like our forward 50 entries, particularly as the game wore on, were a bit diabolical. Um, and, you know, it. I don't know, I don't know what it is, Mac, but we've been bang, I've been banging on about forward 50 entries for a long time. And when we get it right, when we get the ball into the right player's hands, um, we look very good. And when Tex is on top of his game and he's leading up powerfully, you know, we can hit him on the boob, that's fine. But in these situations where we've where we've uh, where we're hoofing the ball long, and often often we're doing that from a standing start, so it's where we've got a mark or a free kick, sixty five seventy meters out of goal, so twenty meters from the from the fifty meter arc. How many times do you see us look sideways, look sideways, and then oh stuff it, and we just bomb it, just bomb it, and mm. hope for the best. We never ever think about uh, going around the arc and trying to spread the defence. That's what we don't do. We don't spread the defence by moving the ball from one lane to the other. You know, and anyone who's who I coach in junior footy and you would have been the same, Mac. You know, three lanes in footy, uh, left wing, right wing, and through the middle. Now you've got to be able to change lanes in order to separate the opposition. And we don't do that. We just go down the line and we stop and invariably we kick, the, we bomb the ball to the top of the square and we're outgunned. We don't have a pack marking forward. That is not a strategy that is ever, ever, ever going to work for us unless McAdam sits on someone's head. Yeah, Phil Thorpe won this week, um, which he juggled about two or three times, but he did take it. Yeah. Uh, but the the odds of uh, the return to what we what we're doing is very very poor. Yeah, and this is this is where I I have I'm really kind of disappointed with our coaching staff because I don't feel like they're actually I think they're applying a lot of methodology that they've learned over the course of their careers and their coaching careers and all the rest of it. You know, and, and Nix has got his key indicators like ground ball gets and contested ball and all that sort of stuff. And all that is great. And and our team, by and large, apart from small periods because they're, they're still quite young, they are competing well. The effort is there. The tackling is good. You know, the running is good. The, the defensive running from our midfield has been much better since we got rid of Sloan and Crouch out of that mix. You know, so there's a lot of things that they're doing right in terms of what I think our coaches are looking for with their key indicators. But what I think is lacking is our coaches aren't actually thinking logically about the team that they're putting out on the park and what that team is capable of and not capable of. There's no way that we should ever, ever, ever be kicking the ball on someone's head in the forward 50. There's just We should just refuse to do that. 
And I'll tell you who used to refuse to do that was Hawthorne. Back in the day, Macca, they would refuse to give up the ball until they had a leading option. Very, very rarely would they put the ball on someone's head in their heyday. Yes, and they've got the runs on the board to prove what they were doing was correct as well. I, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with Nix's game plan, but he, but I, I don't think we've got all the players in the right spot to be able to achieve it, and therefore that sort of, sort of makes the game plan a little bit redundant. I, I feel I, 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 I differ a little bit, Mac, because I'm starting to be concerned that what we what Nix is developing is a workmanlike team and there's nothing wrong with that uh effort is great but would you have ever said that uh hawthorne was the hardest tackling team or got the most ground ball or uh you know that's what were, were the best in contested situations i wouldn't have said that about um hawthorne in their heyday i wouldn't have said that about geelong in their heyday um i wouldn't even really say that about melbourne right now melbourne have some bullish midfielders but I wouldn't call them a rabid tackling team. I don't actually think it's the number one thing. I think you have to get your fair share of contested ball and ground ball, but I don't actually think it's the number one thing that wins games of football. Yeah, but if we put in the right priority, if you've actually got the ball, you don't have to tackle. And the really good sides like Melbourne and Hawthorne when they were at their peak, they are the ones that have got the majority of the ball. Therefore, they're not a, a really a tackling team. On the other hand, if you're like us, near the bottom of the ladder, the opposition have the ball quite a lot. So you have to be a tackling team, Fiend. Macca, we had the ball just as much as um, St Kilda, and I'll just chuck up the team stats. 336 to 350 um, in, uh, in terms of uh, disposals. Uh, 211 kicks to 208, 125 handballs, 142, 47 to 45 inside 50s. We had the ball as much as St Kilda. The key is what you do with it. And the oh, the, yeah. the good teams like Hawthorne back in the day, etc., they did not give up the ball easily. They did not kick to one-on-one, uh, to contested situations easily. Clarkson hated contested situations. So they would they would chip through. They didn't even use handball as much as some teams. Geelong were probably more a handball team, but Hawthorne would chip, 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 and they would go across the ground and they would spread defenders, and then they would hit up a target or at least go to a one-on-one contest rather than the pack. They would never well, actually do that. We were really saying the same thing. Pete, is the fact is that uh, you're saying they use the ball better and. Uh, and I, I agree with you. And if, and if you really use the ball better, you've got uh, possession in terms of time more than they have, and therefore you've got the ability to ultimately get a good disposal away. Therefore, you don't have to tackle as much. Um, yeah, I'm not, ta- I'm not the- just talking about tackling, though, Mackie. You're focusing on tackling. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, um, like when I said Hawthorne, they weren't a, cont- they weren't a hard contested ball team. They they got their, they won their fair share of contested ball, but they they weren't renowned as a contested ball team. But what Hawthorne did was hung on to the ball until they got the right option. You wouldn't see Hawthorne too often bombing it into bloody thirty meters out from goal from a standing start seventy meters away. They just wouldn't do that. 
They would hold onto the ball and they would crisscross the ground until they had the defence spread and then they would, at the very least, be able to kick to a one-on-one situation or a leading target. And the other thing that that does is it creates space in the forward line for your crumbs to go to work. And they had Puopolo and, and Rioli, obviously, that could go to work and Luke Bruce. You know, we don't do that. We are not patient when it comes to going forward. We do not hang on to the ball. We are prepared to kick to a contested situation from 70 metres out from goal. And there's too many variables in that, Macca. And I think it's I think it's poor coaching to do that. Uh, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. What you're saying is we take too much risk when we dispose of the ball as opposed to making sure we get value for our kick. Absolutely. Yep. And the problem with it is, is that because, it, and this is just my opinion, I could be 100% wrong, but my opinion is that because we're prepared to kick to contested situations up forward, our players, that's what that's part of the reason why we get that congestion in pack situations, Mac, where all our marking players, basically, and we used to see it with, uh, pardon me, Himmelberg and Fogarty and all that, they'd converge to the one place, right? So we don't have three options. We don't have Thilthorpe going one way, Tets going another way, and Fogarty going another way. They're all converging to where they know the ball is going to go, which is the top of the square. That's also, uh, you're quite right, uh, but it also is related to the quality of the players ahead as well. Um, I mean, you take Fogarty, he was just a big, you know, if he was about uh, one-tenth the side, he'd be just another point post or goal point. He just doesn't move around very much. Well, I disagree with that. I thought he played poorly, thing. Well, did you go back and watch his first quarter. He didn't play poorly. And he also only had 70% time on ground. He spent a lot of the time on the bench. Um, and I noticed something, and a couple of other people uh, on Big Footy noticed it too. He had that little purple patch just before three-quarter time where he took two marks in a row and all the rest of it and looked like he was up and about. I remember he that, spent, yep. He spent the first 10 minutes of the final quarter on the bench. Now, as a coach who's supposed to, who should have a feel for the game... Fogarty, would, Fogarty was, had finally got free and... Uh, had taken a couple of marks late, was up and about, obviously fired up, why would you then sit him on the bench for the first 10 minutes of the last quarter? Well, I I understand what you're saying. I hadn't picked up that he had spent so much time on the bench, but um, overall in a game of footy, he doesn't do a real lot though, Pete. Why would you sit him, answer my question. Why, why, why would you sit him on the bench for the first 10 minutes of the last quarter when he, when he well, finished the, the third quarter the way he did? Well, I wouldn't have. You know, and yet you keep Tex on when he gives away a stupid free kick and is obviously not 100%. And if you look at Fogarty's first quarter, he took a couple of really nice grabs leading up. They were playing him very high. If you look at his heat map in the first half, a lot of his possessions were high up the ground, even up to high back, uh, half back. He wasn't playing in the forward fifty, Mac. He was playing. He was running up. He was a lead up target. Um, and I think, and you know me, I, I'm I'm not a big Darcy fan. I think he can be lazy at times. But 
There were a few times where he got overlooked. I don't think his teammates trust him at the moment or they're not looking for him. There was a couple of times where he led out from from deep forward and was ignored. Um, I, and to me, Fogarty looked like by the end of the game, he was extremely frustrated and I could kind of understand why. Well, just going on what you said then, uh, he probably had good reason to. Uh, my question to you is, is he ever going to be uh, a key forward for us? No, he won't be a key forward for us. He could be a lead-up forward. He could play high half-forward. But at the moment, see, this is this is the issue that we've got, Mac. We're playing a couple of little midgets at, at high half-forward. We're playing Lockie Murphy and we're playing uh, Ned McHenry in those roles. Yeah. Uh, the, the balance of our team is all wrong. I, I personally think um, Darcy Fogarty is the sort of player that can run up and, up and down a wing, basically from half-forward. Okay, that he's not, and every now and again he'll kick you a long goal, and every now and again you can rotate him deep, and he'll and he'll take a lead out of the square. He's he's not a midfielder, Sir Swords puts out, but I'm not advocating for him to be a midfielder. But I think Fogarty has a, a good pair of hands when the ball is when he's running at the ball, um, and I just don't think he's he's good in the circumstance where we're bombing the ball in long. That's not his go. So if I was playing Fogarty, I would play him high up, up the ground. But then we've already got two blokes that play high up the ground, McHenry and Murphy. Well, if we did, if we had players that could honour a lead and, and bang it on the chest every time, Fogarty could be a weapon. But unfortunately, we don't have those players that uh, give him that type service anyhow well Macca I I disagree Um, I think we've got enough players that have enough skill to be able to do that but I don't I I think our balance is all wrong I think you can't I've said for a long time you can't have Tex and Fogarty in the same team if you're going to play Fogarty out of a forward pocket it just it's just not going to work right so if you're going to play Tex and Fogarty in the same team, you've got to play Fogarty high. And I think they did that for, for a large portion of the game. And I think that's one of the reasons he only spent 70% time on ground. But to my way of thinking, what, where, where it comes unstuck is Tex was obviously getting beaten. And what I would have done is actually rotated them at various stage, stages and made the guy, I forget the guy's name that was on Tex who was doing a really good job, taking him out of his comfort zone. Get Tex to come up the ground and get Fogarty to go back. You know, that sort of stuff. There's not enough of that. There's not enough of that within our... Wilkie, that's right. Thanks, Jay Crow. Not enough of that in our coaching box, in my opinion, Macca. We don't see enough of that rotating through positions. We only had four or five players rotating through the midfield all night. You know, Lockie Murphy has shown that he is a genuine midfielder. He didn't get one CBA. You know, at at our best, at our best, we had six or seven players back in the day running through the midfield. All the good play, all the good teams, have six or seven players running through the midfield. Right? We don't we don't have that same rotation. You know, McHenry, um, you know, recruited as a midfielder. Why doesn't he have a CBA? Lockie Murphy, why doesn't he have a CBA? Why don't we get Geordie Dawson in there for a couple of minutes? You know, Geordie Dawson, it, it's 
like, come back to Adelaide, Geordie, and we'll play as, a, as our cheap kick um, quarterback across half back. I bet he's excited about that, Rob. All he's doing is getting well, hit on the back of the head all bloody game everywhere. Well, I, agree. Look, I agree with you uh, that we certainly should be mixing it up a lot more because uh, the players, all the players you've nominated have, have been midfielders in their day and yet they don't get even one CBA. And, you know, if you put the more variety you put there, it makes it more difficult uh, for the opposition to predict what's going to happen. So um, I, I'm in favour of what you're saying. Yeah. If we look at um, possession, contested possession, 128 to 127. So we match them at the, at the contest. Uh, uncontested possession, pretty even, 202, 215. Turnovers were exactly the same, 69 apiece. Um, possession, we actually had more time in possession by a small margin. Although if you have a look at the last quarter and the last 10 minutes, uh, the last quarter, St Kilda had 53% to 33% possession time. In the last 10 minutes, they had 44% possession to our only 15, so we just couldn't get the ball in the last 10 minutes. And it was noticeable, actually. I think they kicked, I think St Kilda actually kicked three red time goals during the course of the game, Mac. So it's three, three in goals. Last, in, and got four in the last five and a half minutes. Yeah, but also in the in the uh, second and third quarter, I reckon they got red time goals as well. So uh, probably we right. Went, we weren't concentrating, or we'd run out of puff, or whatever. But uh, uh, they were able to get us um, at the death in each quarter. Um, uh, marks eighty nine to ninety three, not a huge um, disparity. Marks inside fifty ten to fourteen. Doesn't look like a huge disparity on paper, but again, we couldn't capitalise on the marks that we took. Contested marks around the ground, 12 to 15, so not terribly uh, different. It wasn't really a marking game apart from Max King, to be honest with you. Um, tackles, we were up 55 to 41. That's that workmanlike thing that Nixie banged on about. Tackles inside 50 was good. Most of that was in the first quarter, 9 to 4. Uh, 1% as though, whatever that measure is, uh, St Kilda way on top, 61 to 46. Um, and if I just have a look at my little graph here, uh, with regards to one percenters, I bet you again that it will be yeah, absolutely smash St Kilda. One percenters up until half time, Macca. Um, Thirty six to uh, twenty eight in their favour, um, and then it blew out during the third quarter all the way up to forty nine to thirty three. Ended up sixty one to forty five. So. Um, I could show you this graph. In fact, I, I will show you this graph just really quickly. Um, and it will show you that um, you can see there the disparity in the second half in those one percenters. So, uh, yeah. So they certainly racked up the pressure in the second half and uh, in in those key stats, if you look at the contested to possession stat, um, that was pretty even throughout but those uh, little one percenter stats um, and things like clangers um, you know uh, we actually did really well in clangers to be honest with you 74 to 50 in, our, in their favour uh, clearances uh, certainly um, we did well in the clearance numbers uh, which is quite surprising I'll switch that on as well you can see the clearances there with the blue line there. So uh, apart from halfway through the second quarter where it was fairly even, um, we certainly did better in clearances. If you look at uh, breaking that down to stoppage clearances, 
Um, we absolutely destroyed them in stoppage clearances, Macca. What's that? That's 20, 27 to 15 around stoppage. And certainly mm-hmm. in centre clearances. Um, they did us in centre clearances 12 to 9. So relatively close. So, yeah, you know, I, I just feel, I just feel like tactically we lost the game, Mac, and um, uh, kicking for goal. That's basically it. Well, yeah, it's a game we should have won. There's no question about that. And um, if we had selected correctly in defence, if we had have made the most of our shots for goal, and some of those shots we got for goal. Um, I made a list of the, the ones that I thought were um, terrible. I can't know whether I can find it now, but um, there, there were there were five there were five of them that uh, that uh, can't find the written list now. But there were five of them that you would just at AFL level say that's going to be a goal because it's dead set in front and you just got to run through the ball and kick it straight. And for God's sake. Um, it just makes you really spew when they when you, you, when you have a team that battles its bum off to get the ball down there, and then somebody's got it and they can't finish. And it's just it must be so deflating to the players up you know upfield. Yeah, that's my biggest point. It takes the wind out of your sails, doesn't it, Mac? Um, you work your guts out to get um, to get possession and get the ball into your forward line and get it into your hand of your forward, and then your forward lets you down, uh, particularly on set shots. Um, you know, running shots, uh, they're always a 50-50 situation. But set shots, um, you've got no pressure on you in terms of um, opposition pressure. It's all its all about routine, Mac. And uh, our blokes, for whatever reason, don't have that routine. Um, I'm not going to go through every player's stats. We don't do that anymore, Mac. Um, but let's just focus on a couple of players. Uh, like Brody Smith, for example, was our highest position getter with a 28. Uh, 659 metres gained. And yet, I found myself cursing him more than once because he just seemed to turn the ball over. Um, look, I, I thought Brody played a very good game. And the the one thing that he did do, uh, which is probably what you're referring to, um, he often seemed to be um, in doubt where to kick the ball. So he then always went for the long ball down the line. Um, always. And then you, therefore you're kicking to um, a pack and then it becomes a 50-50 ball. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, that's my knock on Brody Smith, that for all the, the length that he gives us in terms of territory and his long kicking and all the rest of it, he rarely kicks it to the advantage of one of our teammates. And the reason for that is because he's got a, a, a kicking action, a kicking style that just doesn't allow for that. It's not made. It's not made for that. Um, he's never going. He's never actually going to be the sort of player. And I'll never forget that game. Was it against Collingwood in the in that final where he had to kick it to Seedsman down the line and he just kicked it behind him? That's Brody Smith's bread and butter. That that type of hooking kick. Um, he never kicks it the right way. In fact, often his kickouts are miss kicks because he hooks them. You know, but he, he just get, yeah. But it's just because he's got that slinging action that he's able to get good distance out of it. Um, 
so you know for all for all the the good work that Brody did and he did a lot of good work I agree with you uh, it was probably in our best half a dozen I guess um, he undoes it by just not kicking to advantage and it really annoyed me on the weekend um, the only thing in, in in his defense though Finn, we have a lot of he's got a lot of mates around him and uh, uh, yeah, who but that doesn't excuse it though. as well that that doesn't and, excuse uh, it though. And Mac. at least he did get the ball. At least he did get the ball a lot. Macca, that doesn't excuse it though. It doesn't matter that like it's absolutely irrelevant that he's got mates. If we're talking about Brody Smith's game, he got it twenty eight times. His efficiency was about seventy percent. Um, but he, you know, he doesn't get a turnover stat when he kicks it to a contest or kicks it to the wrong side of a contest. And I reckon that stat would show that his actual effective kicks were probably down to about 10 out of 23 kicks, in my opinion. Yeah. But as they say in the chat, they wonder whether he's instructed to do that because he does it all the time. He did it last year. so um, Yeah, but you can kick it long. You can kick it long but still put it to the opposite, put it to your teammate's advantage, though. I don't have any problem with with him kicking it long, Mac. But put it to the the advantage of the next player down the chain. Don't just kick it on people's heads or kick it behind them or kick it on the side where the opponent is. Like that's what he often does. He often wrong foots a guy, particularly when someone's leading to Brody's right. Brody will often wrong foot them because of his natural hook. Yeah, uh, I can't argue what you're saying about his kicking, um, but. Um I still like the way at least he put the effort he put in getting the ball. Yep. Uh, speaking of effort for no reward, I thought Ben Keys was another that at times really frustrated me with his disposal. It's starting to become a little bit of an issue in my opinion. Um, he's got to be able to hit targets more regularly, Mac, in my opinion. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. There, there's a, there is a classic example of... Uh, Somebody who could nobody in the AFL gives any more than he does in getting the ball. Yeah, but and we love uh, him for he, it. But he burns it so much. But I have noticed, and I reckon about three times at least in, in the game, he steadied himself and actually did a pass, which was I, I was delighted at. He's mm. got a long way to go to, uh, to make uh, be a hundred percent good with his feet. But um, great, great, great with effort and uh, burns it too much. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, if you want to have a chat uh, about proceedings, then uh, stick your hand up. We've got Mick here, um, um, Mac, so we'll bring Mick in. Mick, whenever you're ready, you can pop in. Uh, good to hear what you've got to say again, as usual. It's always um, good for a chat, is Mick? Always good for a chat. How are you going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm at work again. Yeah, oh, you worked, worked too hard, mate. mate. Yeah, that's good. Just a couple of things. Um, sometimes, Fiend, uh, you, you're a bit hard to follow. You say that um, we've got to have integrity in selection and there's no way we could have uh, selected O'Brien in any position the way he's been playing and then say we've got integrity. Um, yes, I do think we should have someone taller. really cost us, but I wouldn't um, I think you know we, if we don't play Mackesee this year, well, he's definitely a bust and a total waste of a pick. Um, 
So we've got to do something with that, yeah? My, my point with uh, O'Brien, Mick, my point with O'Brien, Mick, is not to play him as a ruckman. If we'd have picked him as a ruckman, then yes, I think we, our selection would have lacked integrity. What I wanted him to play is a defensive role, uh, a horses for courses yeah, selection that gives your team the opportunity to win the game of football. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, why haven't we got a got a defender that can do that? Like we picked well, a, a defender and pick six. Um, well, how do we know what he does? We, we haven't yeah. seen him on over over twelve months. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and we preceded that our discussion on O'Brien with exactly that question: Why wasn't Frampton picked? And if you don't pick Frampton, why wasn't Mackesy picked? Um, you know, yeah, exactly. the, he, he, he's, your, he's your gun pick six defender. Um, so, I mean, the simple question is: uh, Are they on the scrap heap? Those two. Well, it's starting to look that way, isn't it? Well, I mean, I know you give the big blokes time and uh, all the rest of it, but um, I don't think they know what to do with Macassie. He's, he's not playing defence much in the, the sample, or the, they're playing him forward a bit. I don't know. I think I, yeah. I just think that's a bad pick, another bad pick. Yeah, I'm starting to believe the same thing. And another thing I want to talk about before I, I leave is... Um, you know, we've been saying that we've got to pick a, you know, a midfielder this next draft that has to be a midfielder the best we can get. I'm actually thinking we can't afford to pick a midfielder. I think with our forward line the way it is, it's Walker or bust. And um, we, we need a, a, a strong, marking, tall forward more than we need a mid at the moment. Well, we probably need to develop the mids that we've got. Don't we, Mick? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got... I mean, I think Saligo is coming along. and We can definitely see why he was, we picked him. Yep. And I've still got a lot of faith in, in, in Harry. Yep. And um, we still haven't even seen what Luke Pedler could do yet. Um, and so don't rule out... With his development. And don't rule out Zach Taylor either. I think Zach Taylor might surprise a couple of people too when he eventually gets a run. I think Haitley played well again. Like, he didn't have a dominant game, but he saw as all wasn't missing. I thought he Look, justified his selection, Mick. Yeah. Yeah. So, more than anything, we need a, a 200 centimetre strong marking forward. We haven't got one, and we haven't had a marking forward since, oh, I can't remember our last one, probably Sarge. And he was the worst kick you could ever find anyway. Yeah, but he yeah. can take it, crap. Mick, that you leads me onto a question. No idea where it went after that. Mick, that leads me onto a question I was going to ask a bit later, but we may as well address it now while you're here. I saw Logan McDonald play against Carlton on on Friday night, and if ever you wanted a strong uh, marking forward, a, a pure strong marking forward, he certainly played like that. Even though he played like kick three three, I think he had like sixteen possessions or something like that took a ton of marks. Um, I wonder, when we took Riley Thielthorpe, um, whether we actually understood what we were getting with Riley because I don't think the club knows whether he's a strong marking forward, a running forward in, in the mould of Nick Revolt, or a ruck forward. Um, it, oh, to my, to my, well, I was just going to finish up to my way of thinking. Yeah, sorry, mate. Keep going. 
Oh, sorry. To my way of thinking, if they wanted, if they were recruiting for a strong marking forward, which is, I believe, what they should have been doing, then they'd pick the wrong guy. Well, oh, definitely. Know, I was definitely for McDonald at the time, and I thought when the way Phil Thorpe started off last year, I was definitely wrong. But when I saw McDonald playing uh, this week, I thought, Jesus, this is he is going to be a very, very good full. Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon? I Mick? think more, more than I think more than anything. Um, Phil Thorpe can be probably you know, in another year or two he could start being a, a bit of an answer to our ruck problem, um, even if he plays you know, 30-40% in the ruck he's more than handy in the, you know, around the midfield area, but he's definitely not a key forward, but I do think um, going through the draft selections and stuff that there is some South Australian 200 centimetre Strong marking forwards in this draft. Yes, and definitely. We've got to make sure we get. We've got to make sure we get one. Absolutely, I, I agree, uh, Mick. Um, I, I think Riley will end up being a very, very, very good player. I, and someone mentioned Luke Jackson in the chat. I think that's a very good comparison. I think in the end, yeah. I, I, I'm certainly not saying Riley Thilthorpe's a bust. He's got great skill. Uh, blow his feet, he's got good wheels he's got lots of things my only suggestion was, I just wonder whether the club knew what they were getting when they got it because I think everyone's impression was that we were we were um, um, looking at a, a power forward and certainly uh, Logan McDonald shapes up I think uh, as being that kind of a player, whereas Riley is a bit more versatile I think uh, you could be right. He could end up being our rutman. The other thing that I'd ask you, and people in the chat, is he the shortest-looking 200-centimetre player you've ever seen? He yes. just looks short to me for 200 <laughs> centimetres. I think it's because he's so agile he's deceiving. Um, and like the way he moves, he, he doesn't look like a you know, a lumbering Riley O'Brien type that yeah. you know, would fall over his own feet. Yeah, he, he just... Um, um, he doesn't look that tall on the ground. No, he doesn't appear to, but um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's more to do the fact he doesn't look like someone that can follow over his own shadow. Yeah, more than, that's um, true. You know, he, he looks like he's coordinated, which is un, unusual. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely not a like a pack marking, contested marking beast. That's for sure. Like he's more the, you know, run people off their feet and yeah, you know, yeah, you know, going up high. On the ground and coming back, you know, running back—that's that's more his style, more than being you know standing under the ball and doing a, a Ben King. That's not that's not his. his no, that's not his but go. We need we need to get someone, um, you know, because I you know Himmelberg's a, a bust as far as I'm concerned. Like he's uh, he did a couple of good games and then after that he, he forgot what that ball looked like. Yeah. Um, we need someone that can take a good grab. And kick goals, so yeah. I mean, they beat Walker. Yes, they did beat Walker. They had because they could t- double team and triple team, because the the rest weren't doing anything. That's right. Yeah, that's and, right. And um, if we had another another forward that was actually doing something with all those entries coming into the forward fifty in the first three quarters of the game. It wouldn't have mattered how many Ben King kicked because they would have been so far in front anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, def- we definitely missed butts. Oh, 100% we, ne- we missed butts. But I think you're right. I think we're, uh, 
we need to get one of those young young lads out of the SNFL. There's probably three of them, I reckon. Lemmy, Keeler, um, one other that I can't think of right now. Um, but yeah, I think it's we've a- got one in our in our um, father's son or something too. That's you know, yeah, in the hundred knot. Hundred Yeah, yeah. Who's I mean, that? I'd, I'd be getting him and another one. Michelin. I'd be getting two. Yeah, I'd be getting two in case we have another bust. Like, at least there's a, there's a backup. Like, we've got to do something in that forward line because at the moment, our only truly good forward is going to retire in two years. Yeah, Michael Annie's not playing as a forward. He's a defender, mate. Yeah. Yeah, rather. And he's as skinny well, we as need, a run. He makes Lockie Gallant look like Arnie Schwarzenegger at the moment. <laughs> oh, good God. But we're all old enough to remember Jim Michael and he wasn't a bad defender, was he? No. Anyway. So we need thank- yeah, we know what we need. We need, you know, two forwards. Big forwards. I yeah. think because like, we without the way that our selection was going, well one of them's definitely gonna bust anyway, so we might as well grab two and hopefully get one good one at them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tom Scully's oh. the other one. Thanks, SC. Uh, Tom Scully's the other one. That so looks a, a real jet, um, I reckon. Um, there's Lemmy, there's Scully, uh, Keeler, I think. Um, so, yeah, we've got to get one of those. Uh, you would think that we'll end up with about pick four before, you know, all the messing around. Um, so we should be able to jag one of them, I think. I still think we'll win. We'll win another four to five games before the end of the year, so we'll still end up with our uh, eight to nine wins. So I'm expecting five and pick five to six, um, mm. which is still a pretty high pick. And you know the way the rumor mill goes, we might lose um, Shaw, which um, hopefully we get a decent pick for him. But I'm not. I wouldn't be crying bucket server if we did lose him. Um, no. He's showing a bit bit of development, like he's got. You know, I don't think he's disposable as good as it was when he first came in. And um, I think him and Atkins have had a bet on who can uh, dodge the most physical contact. <laughs> I think you might be right, mate. Uh, Lockie Troll, I mean, a good player, but there's there without any disrespect to Lockie, players of his type are a dime a dozen. Uh, and when you compare them to. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to get some currency to get up the draft to to get a, a key position forward or something like that, then it's worth a spend. Um, you know, we might decide that we've uh, had enough of Elliot as well and get rid of uh, get rid of him. Um, I so, dare say, I dare say, I don't think I don't think we'll be re-signing him. Well, I won't be very happy if we do. Um, I just don't think there's any yeah, point. The rumours that Carlton's interested in him and with, with Carlton's uh, happy knack of overpaying, I'm happy with that. Yeah, it will be interesting. All right, mate, thanks very much for your contribution right, as always. Back, yeah. I better get, get back, back to work. So I'll get, get back to work, mate. <laughs> Good yeah. on you. Yeah. Thanks, Mick. Yeah, I don't disagree with much that, that Mick said there, Mac. Um there are still nah, a lot of holes in our list. Mick's spot on. He's always pretty, pretty spot on. And um, the, where he, the weaknesses he identified, I think we can all see that there. And uh, it's the big problem is how do you how do you just 
solve those weaknesses. That's that's the problem. Um, there's two ways probably going there. We can keep drafting away in and uh, hopefully get it right. Um, if Dunkley becomes available at the end of the year, I think we should make a big play for him. Um, no, would you? We, we won't have the play. currency. Yeah, I know, but we won't have the currency, mate. If we want to get up the draft and get one of these tall lads, or if, or if we want to make a godfather uh, play for Horn Francis, we, we haven't got the currency to be going after Dunkley. And Dunkley's not coming over anyway. He's well, his uh, partner is actually living in Adelaide yep. at the moment. Yep, and uh, Sloan, Range, Sloan Ranger came onto our chat a couple of weeks ago, who would know, um, and said it's not an issue that she's playing over here, playing netball over here. He doesn't want to come to yeah, Adelaide. But they've put contracts to which he hasn't signed as yet. Well, I mean, that's irrelevant. He's probably got plenty of suitors in Victoria, mate. Uh, but the question is, if he was prepared to, would you uh, burn your first rounder up to get him? Uh, I mean, it, look, it would be a hard one to um, to ignore if he was on the open market and want, and expressed a desire to come to Adelaide. But I think you've got to be really smart about your assessment of your list, Macca. We've already we've already spent a bit of coin on getting Geordie Dawson here. Um, yep. You know, you bring Dunkley in. That's another a couple of picks and maybe a player uh, gone. Um, as Mick rightly pointed out, we're very very light on key position players, and key position players tend to take a little bit longer. I'd be very careful about giving up draft currency at the moment. I really would. I think Dawson was yeah, worth a spend, but do we go to that well again? I mean, Dawson fell in our lap. You know, he decided he wanted to come to Adelaide. Um, I don't know, Mac. Well, you know, the way I look at it, this is that Dawson cost us a first rounder, and uh, and you know what value, an enormous value. Cost um, us two, two first rounders. Was it two? Was it? Well, it costs us a first rounder and then something else, like a second rounder next year or something or other, from memory. It was I thought it was one, just the one first more, rounder. No, yeah, I could be wrong. One, um, more than one pick, I think. Anyway, go on. But, uh, but yeah, but the beauty of it is, I mean, he is real value and he adds a quality to our team. Going by the way he performs every week. Dunkley's the same. He, he performs every week at a really high level, at a level that our players don't perform at. So you, all of a sudden you just add something extra that lists the other players as well. So, um, But, uh, you know, that's just uh, something to consider. But um, because, you know, we have our first round draft picks before, Fiend, and we've got nothing back for them, really. And there's yeah. probably about three of them that I could nominate. Yeah, boys in the uh, chat backing you up. It was Picardian, that's right. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can do this every year, but but if a player like that becomes available, I think you have to have a crack. Yeah, I know, but uh, I don't disagree with you, Macca, to a, to a point, uh, but I think you've got to have a look at the development. We, we spent a whole bunch of draft currency getting midfielders in, and a lot of them are just coming 
to the beginning of their careers. Um, you know, Schoenberg, Sam Berry is really developing well. Jack Haitley is starting to show some good signs in the middle and could be solid. Uh, we've got Luke Pedler, who was a first pick, you know, first round pick. Um, that's got to come in there. We've got Braden Cook as well, who's looking uh, positive for the future. We've got Zach Taylor like as him. well. We've got Jake Saligo. We've got a lot of young midfielders. We've got Joshua Shelley, who could play some midfield minutes. We've got a lot of midfielders at the beginning of their career, and many of them have actually shown a little bit of promise. So I understand. Uh, I think... If you were, I think if you were, uh, if you were further into your rebuild and Dunkley was cream, I think you would do it. But I think where we are at the moment, there are too many components that we still need, Macca. And I think for what Dunkley would cost, I think I would pass. Okay, fair enough. It's just put it up there. Um, uh, the dog's definitely going to uh, have a um, – uh, well, they'll be very tight in their salary cap uh, this, this year, at the end of this year, and they've got quite a few players who will be asking for more money. And he could be the one that gets squeezed out. Um, and he – because he, he did make an attempt to leave the club uh, a couple of years ago as well. So it's not like he is uh, bonded onto them. But that's the only reason why I raised his name. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, there wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if he moved on. I think he'll probably either if he comes to South Australia, it'll be Port, um, and I think he's more than likely to stay in Victoria because he's got some good connections there. Um, just before we wind up our little um, chat about the game, there's just a couple of names that I want to throw at you, uh, just for a quick assessment of your um, uh, your thoughts on their on their game. Jake Saligo, how'd you see him? Loved his game. Loved his game. I, to me, he just showed... When you consider that, you know, he was played in the first one or two games, and he, he, was, he was overwhelmed. And uh, he, he came back uh, last week, he came on, and uh, he he showed that he had something. This week, he just went on... And I thought, look, he's as tough as a cat's head, and he'll have a real a decent crack, and he can use the ball by either foot. Uh, just... Game time is what he needs, and they must play him every week because he is going to be part of our future, Fiend. He's going to be a good player for us. 100% agree with that assessment, Mac. Uh, he had, uh, what, 19 kicks, uh, 19 touches or so, 355 yep. metres gained, uh, you know, a couple, couple of tackles thrown in there. Um, looks looks a, a hard nut, like you said, doesn't get knocked off the ball, doesn't mind going in and getting it. Um, a pretty good shot for goal. Uh, a very, very, very um, promising game by Jake. Excellent. Um, Jackson Haitley. Yeah, I thought uh, just he justified his uh, selection. I thought um, he he is a big-bodied midfielder. Um, he's he's certainly strong enough, and he's. I thought he's starting to play a little bit like he feels like he's belonging into the side. Um, I think the other times when he's been played out of position, he, he was a bit apologetic about playing. But um, the last two weeks, I just thought that he, well, he's been given the opportunity to play the type of game that he used to play as a junior. And yep. uh, I think that uh, if they keep persevering with him in that role, he could, he could end up being very good for us. Yep, agree. I think... 
Jack Haightley and Sam Berry could be a very good one-two punch inside the contest. Uh, they had 17 yep. tackles between them, Macca. Um, you know, Jack gets a little bit more uh, metres gained than uh, Sam, but I think if you put some cream and polish around uh, Berry and Haightley, um, I think I think you've got a, a, a good combination. You put if Harry get get Harry back in form once he's sorted his off field crap out, which I won't talk about. Um, you know, get Luke Pedler up and running because he's got a little bit of burst and a little bit of uh, dash about him. Um, you know, uh, Jake Saligo, uh, a bit of Geordie Dawson running on the outside. Who knows what happens with Miller, etc., etc. And I, I think, I think, um, I think that uh, at the moment, Jack Hately is doing himself no disservice with the with the games that he's playing, and uh, it's, I'm really pleased to see it because I kind of got off him. Um, I was very much a G for him in his draft year, and I kind of got off him, but. He just wasn't being played in the right position, was he? As it turns off. Well, they played him as a wing, and he's and he's not not a wing, he's a he's a dead set on the ball. Yeah, uh, someone in the chat talking about uh, in the chat talking about Shuey. Um, I won't say any more than I agree with you. A day in the life. Um, all right. Uh, do we keep going with Kieran Strawn, or can we not ignore Rolly O'Brien's three thousand possession game in the twos on the weekend? Look, uh, I think uh, the the coach made a commitment to give Strawn four games in a row. He's played two. I think he's got another two to go. Yeah, don't mind it. I reckon Strawn he stays as well. Um, really like Will Hamill's game. What did you think? Well, I thought he uh, okay. He's got real good good dash once he's got the ball, and he does generally use it very well. Um, my fear with him always, of course, is because he's had concussion a few yeah. times, and uh, yeah. uh, and he's one of those players that, uh, like McCartan, that's going to be prone to getting it if they get a head knock. So mm-hmm. I pray that it, that doesn't happen to him, but because I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, and he does offer a little dash off a half back there as well, uh, particularly this weekend because Chase Jones seemed to be a little bit down after he copped a knock. I don't know whether that was ribs or shoulder to Chase, but uh, he's. It was shoulder, yeah, was shoulder. it? Yeah. yeah, it looked like he was yeah. labouring. Yeah, he had away, and he gave away a freebie goal too, Joe. It's a shocking short pass. It cost us a goal, but yeah, um, he's prone I, to doing I, yeah, that. He, but he got, he got hurt early, and I don't, I think that uh, he, you know he'd be soldiered on, him and perhaps he shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, so do we play? Do we continue to play James Road, Lockie Murphy, and Ned McHenry? In the same team. Uh, sorry, who are the three again? James Rowe, Lockie Murphy, Ned McHenry. McHenry's, McHenry's a lock for me. Um, I would say Murphy is Murphy be the one that I would leave out at this stage on form. Um, but then again, having said that, Murphy, if I think the times that they've actually put him on the ball, he hasn't gone too bad. So it gets hard clearances. It gets clearances, That's Murphy. It. Yeah, I know. So if, look, if they were to give Murphy runs on the ball, I'd say that that uh, probably it's uh, Rowie out. Uh, I I used to be McHenry's biggest basher, but I'm one of his uh, not fans, but I'm one of the ones who want him there all the time because 
he's just got that. Look, he does try his ass off. He's got a little bit of devil in him, and and he, no, I think he's I think he's travelling okay, not outstandingly, but he's travelling okay. I would, uh, I would. Those, those three are fighting for two positions, in my opinion, and I think um, the three of them uh, should be basically rotating through those two positions. Personally, at the moment, I'd drop James Rowe and I'd push Darcy Fogarty up, and um, I'd bring in uh, someone else for that uh, small forward role. Whether you try Tarek Newchurch or you know, give someone else a run, maybe Gallant, if you want to play a bit taller. Um, but I wouldn't play all three. Uh, Nemec Henry, as much as he annoys the crap out of me in certain ways, I, I just have to admire his intensity. Um, yeah. But then when you look at his stats, um, not too bad this week. He's been under under 10 posies, but he had 16 posies. So he did what I asked him to do and get a little bit more of the ball. Um, you know, so... I'd be certain. I'm I'm probably happy with Ned's game. Uh, Lockie Murphy. I if they use him around stoppage and maybe give him a couple of CBAs, I'd be happy for them to retain Murphy. Although again, he had a problem with his neck, and that really really bothers me. Um, mm-hmm. I just I know that they're saying that the scans are clear and all the rest of it, but he keeps having issues impacted with that neck and I just wonder whether they need to give him a rest um, James Rowe um, we got him because he was a goal kicker Macca um, and yes he's good up the ground and yes he's good with his uh, kicks inside 50 etc but we got him as a goal kicker and to me if he's not kicking two goals a game on average then he's not the right player No, um, well, we actually don't really have any small really kicking two goals a game at the moment. That's the problem. Um, it's not even just Rowie, but uh, you're right. Um, but the one thing I will say about Rowie, somebody said in the chat, he does have footy IQ. Um, so that, that's the one thing in his favour. But, but we can't keep the three of those blokes in, in my opinion. No, yes, uh, yes, right. Has I do agree with that. We, we're carrying one too many. The other thing too, I do think um, Rochelle is getting close to uh, having a rest anyhow, in yeah. my opinion. I, and that a might save time he, from he actually dropped chest marks that you know he would never have dropped before. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the the issue that I've the reason why I say Rose got to go out is because we don't have a small crumbing forward at the moment, and that's that's Jimmy Rose's role. And I understand that he's got good IQ and his inside fifties are good, and you know draws a lot of frees and all the rest of it. But what he needs to be doing is sitting at the feet of those bloody contested packs and sharking and kicking goals. That's why he's in the team. That's his primary function, and he's not serving that purpose at the moment. Um, you know, uh, Razor says McAdam. McAdam is not a small forward. You know, he will get a shark and goggle every now and again, but that's not McAdam's primary role. You need a, you know, someone like a Stengel or a Betts or whoever, um, and whose primary role, primary role, is to kick goals. The other knock on James Rowe is, unlike the other two, he doesn't offer th- anything defensively. Jimmy Rowe. And it's for that reason, Mac, that I would, he would be the one that I would drop out. 
Well, I can't argue against the defensive side of it because that's that is his poor. That's his uh, poor side of his game. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So, um, still thought we talked about uh, Nick Murray. I think stays in. I think he's just um, it was just unfortunate with selection. Um, yep. Uh, Richelli, I agree with you. I think he needs a rest, Mac. Um, just looks a little tired, like mentally tired, I think. Yep. Um, like that that one that he missed on the hit up where it just went straight through his hands and, you know, hit him on couldn't the knee. Believe. Yeah, couldn't believe it. Don't, you don't see many of those marks dropped at elite level, so I just think he's a bit tired, so... Look, I think there was a there was a lot of reasonable performances, um, and I think you know if I was to make changes next week, uh, I'd probably be thinking about as I said, row out um, and maybe giving. Uh, the problem that we've got is we've got Geelong at Cadinia Park next week, and you don't want to be throwing a first gamer to the to the wolves down there, in my opinion. So they may they may sit and hold. They may make the change of Rochelle if he's if he's a bit cooked, um, but I don't foresee them making wholesale changes because uh, I think they'll just try to bloody minimise the damage down there. I wouldn't mind betting that Nick clogs it up and just makes it a makes it a, a slog like Port Tot tried to. Yep, no, which is no, what no argument for me, Fiend. Which is what we should have done in the second half, I reckon, Matt. Against the Kilda. But anyway. Yeah. All right. So that brings us, Maka, to our, our um, be, uh, you know, best players. Five, four, three, two, one, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's you first because you're the only one here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bloody Nicky. Um, no, no, no. Look, we, it, we're reverting to a one, a one plus one format now, Maka. Just me and okay. one of you guys. So, Nikki will get her turn. I have picked that. Um, yeah. Look, it, it was pretty hard because I, there was nobody played the perfect game. But in the end, I gave my uh, five points to Dawson because I thought yep. he was absolute value for kicks. Um, his meters game were excellent as well. Um, yeah, he also kicked. He kicked the goal. Um, if everybody was as much value for. Of Dawson, we would be a formidable side, no doubt about that. He is, yep. a, he is our best player. Agreed. Um, I gave four points to Smith in spite of the uh, disposal aspect of it. I thought right. that you know he showed a lot of heart to get, getting the ball. He, he certainly played a team game in terms of effort to get the ball. Um, and uh, I think he had a can't remember how many kicks he had, but he had a lot of kicks, and then he also. Uh, gained a lot of distance as well with those kicks, but not necessarily using it as well as he should have. But I still gave him the four. Ben Keys, I gave uh, the three. Uh, I thought Keyesy, uh always outstanding effort. Uh, tried to do a couple of better passes. Some of them came off, um, but uh, again, a, a top a top effort. Uh, it got a little bit harder after that because I was tossing up between two or three. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up giving McAdam two votes because I thought right. he was the one that won forward that actually fired. And um, I gave one point to Duday because I thought he struggled very manfully in, in defence. Very uh, good. Saligo, I, I nearly had in there, but not quite. 
Very good. All right. Well, I don't think anyone could go past Geordie for uh, five votes. He's certainly my five-vote winner. Um, I had Tom Duday as uh, four votes. I just thought that uh, uh, in the situation that they were put in, I thought that he did as much as he possibly could um, to you know, get over the top of King when he could. Um, I actually gave three votes to um, Brody Smith for the same, exactly the same reasons as what you said, Mac. Uh, even though he frustrated the hell out of me, he did try uh, or not. I gave Sam Berry two votes um, because I just thought, even though he didn't get a huge amount of ball, uh, he he's really developing in inside the contest, and I thought a lot of his non-statistical work I thought was really good, so... Um, I gave him two votes and um, I gave young Saligo one vote because I just really liked his game. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. As I said, I, I did toss it up myself. Um, I ended up giving it to McAdam a vote, but it could have easily been Saligo. Yeah. I, think I, once, I wasn't... Once you get down to the last couple there, they could have gone anyways. Yeah. I wasn't as enamoured with Keyes' game as you were. I, I just felt like I just felt like there was a lot of... like His first quarter was excellent. He he got a few clearances and he was breaking away from, from stoppage really well, but he just doesn't use it constructively. But anyway, we've talked about it. So anyway, that, that, was, my, uh, that was my five. Um, people I've noticed are putting, uh, have put their five in the Best and Ferris channel, uh, which is great. I will update the tables uh, and post them in our Discord channel under the Best and Ferris channel uh, over the next day or two. We won't have our cockwumble because uh, that's Nikki's thing. So when Nikki comes on, that'll be her thing and she can uh, have a cockwumble for th- like three weeks worth of cockwumble when, when it's her turn to come on. Uh, or we so could just say she's a cop wumble for not turning up, mate. No, but she didn't not turn up, Macca. I told her not to turn up because we are only having a panel of two from now on on the wrap. And that leads me into just confirming a couple of things about the wrap. Obviously, we're not doing Tuesday Night Live anymore. Um, uh, thanks very much to Pete uh, for that, but uh, it's just become far too difficult for me and for Peter Um to continue to do a midweek cast um so better to not do it than to do it poorly um pete will be on our rotation for the weekend wrap so between yourself maca nikki and peter um we'll have a different person joining me every week um so you guys uh, get a bit of a break and uh um people get to hear a different voice apart from just mine all the time and um yeah so and that's the way we'll continue there'll be a little bit more content on youtube just some pre-recorded content from crowcast on youtube as and when i get the opportunity and the time to be able to do it properly um i don't think scorpus has any time to do anything vardy i'm sorry we may get the odd donkey magoo appearance um depending on donkey's uh schedule um but uh we'll definitely be maca nikki and Peter on a rotational basis for the rest of the season. I reckon we're just about done, Mac. The only well, yeah. other thing, the only other thing that I'll say is um, the uh, giveaways on Ho Games uh, tickets will still occur, but they'll occur on our Discord channel. So, uh, for those that aren't aware, um, 
uh, we give away two general admission tickets at least every uh, home game and they are run by putting your name up in the tickets channel um, when they come up so uh, and we'll warn people on our socials and on on twitter etc when they come up Matt, i reckon that's about it Okay, and uh, well we'll see you in a fortnight or three weeks, whatever, folks. Well played. Thanks very much, uh, everyone, uh, for joining us tonight. Thanks on Discord and also on YouTube. Uh, Don't forget, uh, we are very grateful also to our um, our patrons on Patreon. Thank you very much to our patrons for their ongoing support. If you want to support us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash AFL Crowcast. But until next Sunday night, have a good week. Maka, take care, mate. And uh, we will see each other, uh, see everyone next week uh, at 8.30 for the wrap. Till then, night, everyone. Good night, all.